partner here at Mercy View. Tonight I'm reading from Romans 13, oh, sorry, 14, 13 through 23. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good to be spoken as of evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Yeah, you can be seated. Thank you, Marla. Well, good evening. Welcome to Mercy View. It is great to have you here tonight. Uh, beautiful weather this week, huh? A little bit of rain, but not too bad. Um, doesn't last very long, though, does it? Seems like we have like a couple weeks of spring, and then we're into summer. Summer already kind of starts to feel like it's happening, right? That humidity and that heat is, is starting to come in. But uh, if you're visiting with us tonight, just want to say how grateful we are. Just uh, echo Trey's welcome to you. Uh, we are so grateful that you're here. And um, if we could serve you in any way, pray for you in any way, um, I'd be honored to do that. Those that are uh, in leadership here, we'd be honored to do that as well. And uh, yeah, we're just so glad that you're here. All right, I just want you to... Um, brace yourself just for a moment. Here are some things. I just want to read some words and uh, see how they land on you. Politics, dating, education, alcohol use, worship style, clothing choices, smoking, movies, dancing, Tattoos, divorce and remarriage, moms working outside of the home, gambling, fertility, and contraception. Everybody doing all right? Like, what are you, what is this, Brad? What are we doing tonight? Well, um, if you're like me, you, you hear those things, and for some of you, you would say, Brad, I've got a firm conviction on all of that. Some of you might hear that, that list and say, you know, I, I have some, some ideas about some of those things. I'm in process on, on some of those other things. Um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily, maybe on some of them, even have a, a preference or opinion at all. Some of you might have heard that list and just thought, like, are we supposed to talk about these kinds of things in the church house? And that's a good question as well. And really, what that list does for me is begins to... Something bubbles up inside of me, I start to feel a little anxious, right? Part of that is because as a pastor, 
at this church, uh, those kinds of discussions around these kinds of issues have a tendency to be difficult, right? Whether I'm engaged in them with someone or I'm hearing about someone that's engaged in those conversations, it makes me a, a little nervous because I know that sometimes the end result of those conversations uh, don't end well, right? But, but as just a believer, just as a brother in Christ, like to wade into these very thorny issues, it, it causes some unrest uh, within me. And so like when I hear that list, those are the things that, that I feel. And then I start to think about this, like how do we, how do we engage in those kinds of issues in the local church? Like how do we navigate these really <clears throat> culturally things in society that there's just a, a whole host of opinions on inside a church like Mercy View? Like do we avoid those issues in conversation with one another? Do we like steer clear of things that might be controversial or do we engage in those things? Do we press in on those things? And does it matter how we do that? Tonight we are jumping back into our series in the book of Romans in a series we're calling Anthem of Grace. And I've said this a lot, but uh, what we're doing in this particular part of the book of Romans is, is trying to wrap our, our heads and our hearts around what Paul did in the first half of the book of Romans. The first half of the book of Romans was Paul's attempt to say, here is what a high view of, of God looks like. Here is who he is. Here is what he is about. Here is what he particularly does in the work of justification and salvation. But as we move into the second half of the book of Romans, what Paul is doing is saying that theology, if you just sort of keep it in the realm of head knowledge... You're not actually living it out. You're, you're not really living as a Christian. He said that these things is what he's doing in the second half of the book of Romans. These things that are lofty, doctrinal, theological have to be lived out in our lives. And so the anthem of grace is another way of saying, and this is the way that our lives can sing out these great doctrines and, and theology of God. So two weeks ago, we entered this chapter we're in tonight, Romans 14, and it, it, if you were here a couple weeks ago, you know that Paul is attempting to do something here uh, that is very interesting, right? You could argue that it seems a little nitpicky that Paul would want to write as a part of this letter to the church in Rome, like, hey, when you guys are talking about secondary issues, this is how to do it. But we said last week, or two weeks ago, that the reason that Paul was doing that is because he was getting word that there was division, that the, the conflict that was coming out of these discussions was causing uh, division and, and, and a break in fellowship among people who should be together in fellowship. And the result of that was that that to the watching world revealed what I would call a broken witness. Paul's big point a couple of weeks ago in the first part of Romans 14 was to say that the one with weaker faith, right, the weaker brother or sister, though they may have a more restrictive way of living, they may uh, think more narrowly about spiritual things for the weaker brother or sister, they should live in such a way that the law of liberty or freedom 
like helps them get to a place where they can accept others who have more freedom, who are less restrictive. And as we wade through all of that, that despite our differences, we can find that because of love, we can strive to understand one another, stay in fellowship with one another, even though we disagree. That was Paul's point two weeks ago. Now, Paul's going to stay on that track. But tonight, what Paul is going to do is talk to the ones who have a stronger faith. That's what it means when he addresses the stronger brother or sister. And as we do that, I just want you to see one thing tonight, and it is this. The law of love nurtures the church's peace. Two weeks ago, we said that the law of liberty or freedom, it helps maintain the church's unity. And this is the flip side of that coin as he's talking to the stronger brother or sister tonight that the law of love is what nurtures the church's peace. So if you would look with me all the way back at the very beginning of Romans 14, just want to grab some context real quick before we get into our passage tonight. Back in verse 1, look there with me, Romans 14, verse 1. Paul starts this chapter by saying to the church in Rome, hey guys, stop quarreling over opinions. Apparently folks were debating and arguing over what I would call, what I think Paul would call non-essentials. What were those non-essentials? These seem probably a little odd to us in, in, in our time, but they were debating over things like food restrictions or the observance of, of certain days or festivals. Some people in the church had chosen not to eat meat or to drink wine, which we're gonna, we, we see here in, in these chapters, and others saw no problem with eating meat or drinking wine. Also, some thought there were certain days that were more important than others, particularly the Sabbath. And again, these debates were turning into more than just debates. They were turning into arguments and disunity over things that Paul is trying to press on the Roman church and us as we listen to it tonight that are in the realm, that are in the category of opinions. Now remember, Paul said back in Romans 12, verse 15, to live in harmony with one another. And then in verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. These disagreements that Paul had gotten wind of were working against that harmony and that peace. This was so serious to Paul that he said, I'm going to write for a chapter, and actually he's going to do this uh, at the beginning of chapter 15 as well. He's going to say, we've got to get this figured out. We've got to talk about this as a church because not only is it harming what's happening inside the church, the watching world as it looks in on us has a, a right to say, we are hypocritical. And he was like, we can't have that, right? So after speaking last week or two weeks ago to the weaker brother, sister Paul turns his attention tonight to the stronger brother and sister. So look with me, if you would, beginning at verse 13 again. Let me just read that verse for us again, because in a lot of ways, this captures the, the thrust or the theme of what Paul is trying to say to us tonight. There, verse 13 uh, Romans 14, look there, it says this. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And then if you would jump down with me, because this is the same part, uh, the same part of this theme. Uh, the first part of verse 20, Paul says this. 
Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Now remember, Paul is shifting his focus away from from the weaker brother or sister to the stronger brother and sister, which means he is now talking to ones who are less restrictive, or said another way, they are more free in their application of the gospel to the Christian life. Stronger here doesn't mean better. It just means stronger in their faith. They're not better Christians. They have just come to an understanding of how the gospel informs the freedom that they have in Christ. So, if Paul is talking to the stronger brother or sister here, notice that he has equally strong words for them. Right? He, he says to them in verse 13, to not pass judgment on one another and goes on to say, but rather decide something in your heart to do, right? Don't put a stumbling block in front of the weaker brother or sister. Now, in verse 13 again, Paul says not to pass judgment on one another. So he says to the stronger brother or sister that instead of that, we should, and he uses kind of a play on words here, a personal judgment to not hurt others with our freedoms. Again, it's really an interesting way that he is he's saying this. Paul is not um, giving us insight necessarily about how to judge others yet in the first part of this verse. He is just saying that we should decide or judge for ourselves that on non-essential issues, we should be more concerned with the spiritual well-being of others more than our freedoms. Now stay with me in verse 13. Paul does, though, move to give us some help on how to do that. Again, Paul's talking to the stronger brother or sister, and he says to never put something in the way of the weaker brother or sister called a stumbling block, right? Well, we just said that to be more concerned with the spiritual well-being of others on opinions and preferences, like, that's what should trump the, the freedom that we may feel or the liberty that we may feel to do a certain thing. But another way to say that is this. Our Christian liberty should stop where a stumbling block begins. That's Paul's point. So remember, the weaker brother or sister is someone who is fundamentally wrong on the issue at hand. We said that last week. That weaker brother or sister is in need of strengthening spiritually. They are in need of maturing spiritually. And Paul actually presses that point a little bit. If you look at verse 14, he he says, look, the stronger brother or sister is fundamentally correct in their assessment on the issue of clean and unclean food. But notice that it's not before warning the stronger brother or sister to be careful. Now, what is a stumbling block? Well, when Paul says a a stumbling block or hindrance, that word hindrance is really helpful for us. In verse 13, he calls it also something that can hinder a weaker brother or sister. I think that's a window in. In fact, look with me if you would at verse 15. Paul says that the weaker brother or sister, because of the actions of a stronger brother or sister, can grieve the other because of what is being eaten. And then Paul goes even further and says that the weaker brother or sister can potentially be destroyed by what is eaten. Now, 
I think it tells us a couple of things. First, at best, a stumbling block is something that hinders the weaker brother or sister's ability to grow in the very thing that they need to grow in, Christian freedom. Because they are being maybe shamed or pressured or guilted into something their conscience is not at peace with. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verses 21 and 22. There seems to be some sort of implied societal pressure connected to whatever is going on here. Paul commends, on the one hand, a type of private faith in verse 22, right? The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. While at the same time, he also says, it is not good to, uh, I'm sorry, it is good to not eat meat or drink or, or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. That seems to indicate something that's not in private, but rather public. So I think at best, Paul is saying that a stumbling block can put a brother or sister in a situation where they feel pressure, again, whether it's implied or it's direct, and this causes them to be tempted to violate their conscience. This stumbling block, he's applying it to non-private or social scenarios, even private scenarios that create a conscience issue for a weaker brother or sister. Are you with me? I know this is a little thick tonight. Now, that's at best. Paul says that the unloving use of our Christian freedom, though, can also destroy the weaker brother or sister. Now, that is strong language. Now, Paul is not talking about physical uh, destruction here, but what he is uh, attempting to, to give us like a feeling on viscerally is that there is a way in which we can use our Christian freedoms as stronger brothers or sisters that bring about spiritual harm or anguish for someone else. So don't miss this. At worst, the uncaring use of Christian freedom by the spiritual or stronger brother or sister can actually tempt the weaker brother or sister to go back to their former ways or maybe, and this is why I think Paul uses the strong language, even reject the gospel. So this is important. A stumbling block is more than you just being like a, someone being offended or disagreeing with you. A stumbling block can create significant spiritual issues for the weaker brother or sister because the stronger brother or sister cares more about their Christian freedom than the relationship. So if you put all that together, a stumbling block is putting a weaker brother or sister under pressure to do something that they feel is sinful. It's a situation where a brother's faith in the gospel or how the gospel is expressed in their lives or in the church through relationships has the potential to be seriously harmed. See, Paul's main concern here, friends, is this. If you put really together two weeks ago and tonight, it's this. He wants to see in the church a balance of not allowing liberty to be limited needlessly on the one hand, but not also not allowing a brother to be needlessly harmed spiritually on the other. Or said another way, to use some language that we've used in the past, freedom, Christian freedom, Christian liberty, has to reflect a theological or ethical triage that is set in the context of love. In other words, you can be sinful in how you handle a non-sinful issue. 
Are you with me? (laughs) Even if you're technically right, you can still be wrong. Now, look with me, if you would, back at verses 16 through 18, because Paul introduces really another crucial thing for the stronger brother or sister to remember in this, this idea tonight. I said earlier that in Paul's view, that the reason that he is writing this to his friends in the, uh, the church of Rome, and we'll see this next week in the first part of Romans 15, is that apparently more than just sort of um, cordial disagreements about secondary issues were happening. Apparently there was some very serious division happening, conflict happening in the church, and he is desiring for the church to be united around the right stuff, to be loving in the secondary stuff, and because that wasn't happening, he was deeply grieved by that. But Paul is going to introduce a very real implication of that kind of splintering and shattering within the church when he, he, he says the result of all of that is, and we've said this already tonight, but, but if the church is fighting about things that are secondary, what does the watching world think about that? What, what does the, the, the witness of the church mean then? Like the, the part of what Paul is doing here in these verses, 16 through 18, is saying the result of all of that is that as the watching world looks in at the church, they want nothing to do with the church, which means they don't want anything to do with Jesus. It effectively fractures our witness to the watching world. In short, Paul is saying, do not, do not sacrifice the witness of the gospel in these matters. See, loving one's brother is not the only higher value that is in play here. It's a big one. But the witness of the gospel, in terms of what people think about the kingdom of God, that's what Paul's talking about in these verses, is also an issue that has to be deeply considered for us as Christians. Christian brothers and sisters need to remember what is really important. Because here's the deal. You, you know this. Emotionally, if you have a strong conviction on something, you can begin to act as if the, that issue or, or the expression of your freedom around that issue is more central than what it should be. And so then what happens? The, the beauty of the gospel. When Paul says that we should regard uh, what you regard as good, he's talking about the gospel, the beauty of the gospel. And what happens is if, if emotionally you begin to act as if your, your freedom is more important, the watching world will look in at that and, and it will be spoken of as evil. Paul just straight up says that tonight. Friends, that should cause us to slow down a bit. The stronger brother or sister risks making people think about the gospel poorly if they don't handle their freedom well. And then this can happen. Look at verse 17 again. A church can be known then more for its views on secondary issues than it is known for righteousness and peace Enjoy in the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be a kingdom citizen. He's talking about the kingdom of God here. Now that is not to say that the leadership here at Mercy View, that you won't have convictions on some of these secondary issues. It, it, it definitely doesn't mean that we're, we're not going to teach on those convictions from this space. Paul is not suggesting, we said this two weeks ago, that, that, that you should be an inch deep um, theologically or even philosophically. 
He is just saying that one of the implications of, of our understanding about our place in the kingdom of God is that our, our, um, our posture as kingdom citizens is what subsumes a Christian or a church's overattention to open-handed issues. Are you with me? So, here at Mercy View, I want us to be known for what we are for, not what we are against. Now, as we talk, I, I know some of you are like, well, don't we have to um, talk about what we're against to know what we're, we're for? Somewhat. I, I understand that question, but when a church is known like they're, what, what people say about that church, what is distinctive about that church is that they prioritize or emphasize or, or frequently come back to things that are secondary issues. And that, I'm not interested in that, y'all. And, and a church that does that might be communicating something that makes me tremble as a pastor. A church that cares more about something other than the gospel has lost confidence in the gospel. And it's subtle. Sometimes it's overt. My prayer is that may not be said of us, friends. Again, it doesn't mean we won't talk about things that might fit in the moral or ethical categories below that first tier of orthodox Christian beliefs. Don't mishear me on that. It just means that as we engage on those issues, we value something more than our opinion. Paul says in verse 19 that we should be valuing unity. Do you value anything in your life? Do you know what it means to value something? You care a lot about it. And, and on secondary issues, we should be valuing unity a lot. If, if Listen, I said this two weeks ago. Paul is not saying... He's like not arguing for some sort of conversationless, convictionless, like don't rock the boat approach to these issues. He's saying that as we engage in it and as we maybe even come to the other side of these conversations and debates, we choose the relationship over the preference. We choose love instead of the opinion. Doesn't mean you don't have one. It just means that after you've talked with folks, as you've engaged with folks, you're choosing to love one another in spite of your differences and to not break fellowship unless it's absolutely necessary. Now, I said last week that we're going to spend a little more time talking about the conscience. Our time is short, so I don't have a, a, a lot of time to do that. But in many ways, this idea of the conscience is what Paul is talking about in Romans 14, and we'll see again this beginning of Romans 15. What do we say the conscience is? The conscience is a gift from God. It is a type of intuition where you know something before you can actually, like, articulate it. It's something that before your head knows it, your heart knows it. And Paul said last week in verse 5 that each one, or excuse me, two weeks ago, said... Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Again, that's Paul saying, you can have a strong opinion. Um, but he's saying that on, like have a strong opinion on non-essentials, when you come to those conclusions, your convictions are likely informed by something called your conscience. We said earlier that Paul was communicating to the weaker brother, uh, weaker brother or sister a, a couple of weeks ago 
because they, um, the way that they uh, engage in their Christian walk, it's, it's a little more restrictive. But for those individuals, the law of liberty or freedom should like help them accept others who are less restrictive. So to the weaker brother or sister, there is a temptation to have a judgmental spirit toward others who feel free to do the very thing they don't, right? And that, that could lead them to then treat the stronger brother or sister as if they're spiritually careless or maybe like they think that's unwise. But today, Paul turns the tables and he shows us that there is an inverse relationship between the stronger and the weaker brother or sister. And he says something tonight to the stronger brother or sister. And here is really what he is saying. This is the one big thing that I want you to see this evening. The law of love nurtures the church's peace. In other words, if you find yourself in a position where you can, with, with integrity, say, I, I think I'm the stronger or brother, uh, stronger brother or sister on this issue, Paul is saying you guys need to remember the law of love in those situations. Look back with me, if you would, real quickly at verses 22 and 23. Here's what Paul is getting at in these verses. We have to keep in mind that as we consider our freedoms, obedience is not just an issue of what is right and wrong outwardly. Obedience, Paul tonight, is saying it also must include an internal issue as it relates to the conscience. You know this. There are, you felt this when I read the list earlier, there are so many things in life that do not fit nicely into categories that are always clear and consistent. Now, the, the problem is, is that on that list I read, some of you are like, well, uh, I've got those fit into some categories, Brad, really nicely. Here's the deal, y'all. Possibly the person sitting behind you in the pew has, an, has some other belief about that. And we're filled with a bunch of people here who have a, there's a spectrum of, of thinking on all those issues. And for those situations, Paul is saying, activate your conscience because that is what will help you decide personally on what is right and wrong. And then the challenge is for us to bring that together in the church house. So Paul says two things here in these verses that I want us to hit before we're done. In regards to the category of non-essentials, verses 22 and 23, your decision is almost always or primarily a personal matter. It's something between you and God. In other words, there will need to be some level of personal determination as to what you should or shouldn't do about an issue, a non-essential. And that standard of right and wrong for you will come from your heart, which is likely being driven by your conscience. But second Paul says in verse 23 that if a person is internally convinced that something is wrong, or if they're so unsettled that they're doubting if something is right, then to act against their conscience would be wrong for them. Whether it's peer pressure or societal acceptance or some other motivation, if it drives them to do something they think is sinful, um, uh, they shouldn't do that. They don't feel like they should. Now, don't mishear uh, Paul. I'm not sure he's saying that you are always going to feel 100% right about everything that you do. In fact, if you are that person, we should probably chat because um, I don't know how that's possible. There are things I'm very strongly convinced of, but 
100%, I don't know about that. But some of you are plagued with doubt, though. This is the other end of the spectrum. And you often feel guilty. Paul is directing all of us to look closely at our hearts and ask ourselves, what is motivating me here? Like, am I doing this thing or not doing this thing unto the Lord? Can I give thanks for this? Am I doing this in faith? See, the reason that Paul is saying that this is because he's saying all this tonight is because he doesn't want the one brother or sister to cause another brother or sister to violate their conscience. And it goes both ways. Paul is actually elevating the value and the importance of the conscience and how we approach our liberties. Paul is actually doing theological and ethical triage in this text for us. He's showing us that unity and love for your brother, gospel witness, and a brother's conscience are closer to the center than your freedom. Even if the brother is wrong, we still need to think carefully about how we use our freedom. That's Paul's point tonight. So I wonder if you see at all how this text is intended to, through the lens of love, see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ first. Like that's Paul's aim, really, in Romans 14, the beginning of Romans 15. He's saying, be careful not to flaunt your freedom and not to become overly emotional about your freedom. Don't use your freedom as a weapon of shame. Be careful that your preferences are informed by Scripture and that you distinguish between what you have just chosen to do and what the Bible commands everyone to do. Don't use your preferences as a, as a, a way to, to stir guilt. Paul is keeping in front of us tonight that the effects on others of our preferences should always be a part of our decision-making process. It is never right to not consider the impact on other people. So here's what is evident to me in all of this. Paul is talking to us and saying, your conscience is a guide. It's an alarm system of sorts, but it shouldn't be trusted as the final arbiter. The word of God has the place that that, that's what should be central for us because the conscience needs to continually be instructed and informed and sometimes reformed. So let me speak here uh, to you tonight as we close. This is from my heart. Um, Friends, as your pastor, family, fellowship, and unity is way more important to me than being recognized as right. It doesn't mean you don't have an opinion or a thought about something that's a secondary issue. Um, The gospel, the body of Christ, our witness to the watching world is way more important to me than uniformity of opinion. My prayer is that we can be a church like that. Friends, our community needs a church like that. They need a church that is more passionate about Jesus than we are our opinions on non-essential matters. By the way, that's why I rarely tell you many of my opinions from this spot. It's not that I don't have them or that I'm scared to share them with you. It's just that I want this church to be known for what it is for. The gospel. Not about some sort of 
uniformity about debatable matters. So I ask you, can we be that kind of church? Are we that kind of church? Paul says tonight to us, do it for Jesus, do it for his kingdom, because that's what lasts. Jesus is the one who laid his life down for his friends. And so we should do the same. And he's more than our model as we look to him to do that. He's actually the one who's redeemed us for the work of love. He died for us to be one. Wouldn't it be great to be a part of a church where our unity in the gospel was more important than our division over debatable things? Can we do it for Jesus? I pray that we will. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father.